Philippians chapter 2. You turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Now, one of the amazing things is that um, through history, I've just been looking at a book which has gone through, going through history of um, uh, the lunacy of men in predicting the end of the world, you know, the last days. And a lot of people are into second coming teaching, premillennialist, postmillennialist. Um, and it's been around uh, since the first century. And uh, really it took um, wings about 500 AD. And uh, it's amazing how you've always had through history, nearly every century, you've had someone who thought he was Elijah heralding in the end time. Martin Luther thought it would be 30 years from the time when he nailed his uh, statement to the door. He thought 30 years, and that was going to hail the golden age of the millennium. And and all through history, uh, Calvin was the same. And and you'll find... um, people always want to look and they want to understand prophecy and they want to understand end times and they want to explain how God's going to do it and so you don't want to worry the end is not coming tomorrow and it's not coming next week it's coming when God the Father decides it's coming and you won't know it that's for sure and might I say I've got grandchildren and they have a future and I'm not one for doomsday and gloom and as for the idea of um, Jesus Christ returning to this earth and ruling from Jerusalem what is important is how you live what is important is what God does in your life now there's a sin sick world out there in desperate need of a saviour You can read anything into anything if you want to make it mean that. And you can read anything into the Bible if you want to make it mean what you want it to mean. But the Bible isn't for a private interpretation. What it says is what it means, plain and simple. It's not allegorical. It's not some historical account. It is the Scripture, which is the Word of God, And it is there to adjust our life and our lifestyle. And it is that we might have life and life more abundant. That is what Jesus came to do. He did not come to make me a fortune teller, nor you. He did not come so that we could plan out our future. He came to bring us life and life more abundant. He came to save his people from their sin. That's what he came to do. He did not come to explain the future. And if you're one of these people that's wanting to gaze into the future and dream and work everything out, you're wasting your time. Please believe me, you are wasting your time. Everyone was fearing the end of the world. Everyone gets caught up with things and and you can look around the world and what's going to happen? Well... I don't know. One thing I do know, we have a God in heaven who loves us. We're children of God. 
and it says, take no thought for the morrow what you shall eat, what you shall drink, or what you shall put on. Your Father knows you have need of those things. You've got to have confidence and faith in God. And one of the things that takes away faith in God is fear of the future. You have a place in God. And the most important thing is to live and please God. And you'll find in Philippians chapter 2, Uh, says this in verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And goes on in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only in, in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know how he works within us? God basically either causes us to live with joy and singleness of heart or we find we get frustrated inside because we want to go our own way. There's only one way to live in the joy of the Lord, and that's to walk in the way he intends us to walk, to do what he intends us to do. He works within us to do that. His whole purpose is that we should please him. The only purpose in life for a Christian is I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to please him. I want to do his will. If that isn't the main part of your life, then you're not living as a Christian. It doesn't mean that you haven't been born again. It means you're failing to live the way God intends you to live. You've got to be realizing that, um, verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him her name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed. You see where it comes to? It comes to obedience. Christ knew his authority, knew his power, but he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death of the cross. He made a choice. He knew what he could do. He knew the authority he had. He knew the power he had. But he made a choice. Okay, I might be one who can do anything, but I'm making the choice not to do what I want. I'm making the choice to be obedient to do what he wants. And every child of God has to make a choice. 
We're tempted in all points like he is. He was tempted in all points like we are. And you've got to have the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ was, I'm going to choose to do what God wants. I'm going to go God's way. I'm going to be what God wants me to be. He made that choice. And every one of us has to make the same choice. Doesn't mean you haven't got the power to go your own way. Of course you have. Doesn't mean you haven't got the authority to succeed. Of course you have. There are principles in God that can't be violated. Trouble is, who do you obey? Do you obey your desire, your ambition, your hope, or do you obey God? And it always comes down to will. Obedience and will. If I'm going to repeat it once or a hundred times, I couldn't change. It's always simple. It's the natural things in life that catch you out. It's the normal things in life. You have to do what he says. Is that clear? John 8, John's Gospel, chapter 8. If you've got the mind of Christ, one of the things you should be able to say in John 8 is the last verse, the last part of the verse, uh, verse 29, John 8, 29. Can you say that? What does it say? That's the mind of Christ. I'm always going to do those things that please him. In other words, God's my father. The only thing I'll do, I'll do what pleases him. Not what pleases me, what pleases him. So the choice in life has been made. I'll do what pleases him. That is the mind of Christ. Any son of God... Any child of God who's had a real experience of God is governed by that attitude. I want to do what pleases him. And without that, you don't live as a Christian. You might have all the reality of a new birth, but you're not living as a Christian. You're not walking as a Christian. You're living for yourself. You're living as a carnal person. 2 Corinthians 9. Verse 6 says, For this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully 
shall reap also bountifully. Uh, verse 8, uh, or let's say verse 7, And every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, but a, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. But God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Do you know, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound, what to? Every good work. Why does God bless a person? Why does God prosper a person? So that they may abound to every good work. He's not blessing you for yourself. He blesses you for Father. So you can please Father's will. You can do what Father wants. He said, I'll do it. I'll bless you. But he makes it very plain why. It's so that you can be a blessing in the earth to others. Not so that you can bless yourself. Goes on. As it is written, he hath dispersed abroad. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower... Both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness which causes through us thanksgiving to God. He that ministers seed to the sower, verse 10, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness and abundance. God's whole purpose in sowing seed, the word of God in your life, is that you might bountifully meet every good work. It's work. God wants workers. He's not looking for people to say, okay, well, uh, I'll take this to me money. God doesn't need money. He needs your heart. God's not after money. He's after you. He wants you to know that any bountiful blessing should always bring about the reality that you're going to live for him. In the end, you're building one kingdom or another. In the end, you're doing one thing or another. In the end, you're going to live for yourself or you're going to live for God. And in the end, that's what you're going to be. In all eternity, you'll either receive reward or suffer loss. Purely by the way you've lived. And God looks out... And so many people believe God's blessing is just to bless me, me, me. The reality of it is, is Jesus Christ came to bless us. He could have had everything. I mean, he created heaven and earth. He didn't come and say, look, I want to take over everything. He came to bless the poor when he had abundance, he came to give it away. He came to heal the sick. He came to deliver the captive. His whole purpose and whole thrust and the thrust of Christianity is to bless others, not to bless ourselves. But God will bless us, 
But then he makes it plain, when he does bless us, what are we going to do with it? Who's it for? What are you going to do with your life? Who are you going to live for? And the whole crunch comes when you have to make up your mind and make choices in life as to how you're going to live. And God makes it plain, selfishness is the most destructive force. Unfortunately, that's what possesses most people. They end up worshipping themselves instead of worshipping God. They end up with their own desires instead of God's. And they destroy themselves. Ephesians chapter 1. Find the same thought. Ephesians 1. Paul says in Ephesians 1, in verse 15, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He wants the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened that you may not know what is the hope of his calling, not the hope of our calling. It's his. What is the riches of his inheritance? It's his inheritance, not mine, not yours. His. And then he goes on and he says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. You need to know what's the exceeding greatness of the power of God in you. If you had any concept of what God has really done in you and what power you have within yourself, the most tremendous creative power in heaven and earth, that raised Jesus from the dead. The power that raised him up from the dead is in you. The power that could turn death into life against everything known, against all creation, against law, against everything, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And that same power that can conquer every deformity, every disease, every sickness, every bondage, 
works in you. Jesus Christ lives in you. There is no power that can ever come upon you or afflict you that can conquer the power that's already working in you. It's the power of the risen Christ. That same spirit that raised up Jesus out of the grave from the tomb is working in you. You do understand that. If you're looking somewhere out there for an experience and you're trying to get God to come and do something, you're looking in the wrong place. It's already inside. If you're reaching out, you're failing to understand the power that raised Jesus from the dead is already working inside of you. You have within you the authority of God. You have within you a name that's above every name that's named. There is no name, no principality, no power, no strength, no ability that's above what you have inside of you. That's why the Bible said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When Christ comes in, you have that same resurrection power that can totally take dominion over everything. Now, what you do with it is so important. It's not there for you, it's there for him. It's his inheritance. It's what he wants to do. I come to fulfill his will. But that power is there. Don't ever say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do... You can do anything. Paul could say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why he has that power within. Don't say, I can't, you can. If you ever say you can't, what you mean is you don't want to. If you say you can't, you can't help yourself, what you mean is you don't want to change. You say there's nothing that can happen, you're a liar. Because you already, if you're a Christian, have the power that raised Jesus from the dead working in you. And there's nothing can stop that power. Let's look at it. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You need to understand. If you get an understanding of what God's really done, it'll change your whole belief. It's not a struggle to get faith for something. It's a realization of what I've already been given. It's not a struggle to reach out. It's a realization, hey, we've got that power within. That you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of his of glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us would who believe. Jesus Christ did not come to give you an ethical, moral code. That is blasphemy. That comes from a demon of hell. Jesus Christ is God. And when he came, he came to die for your sin and to deal with the problem of sin and rebellion in your life and your heart. And when he rose again from the dead, he came to set you free in every part of your being. There is no sense in which 
somehow Jesus is an example. That is blasphemy. He is not an example. He's God. And he came as the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world, to pay for the price of your sin and my sin. That's why he came. The most greatest miracle in heaven and earth was on the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. I want to tell you, he rose in bodily form. He rose in resurrection life. Lazarus came back. Jesus raised him from the dead, but he died again. Jesus lives forever. He's alive. Muhammad didn't rise. Buddha didn't rise. They're dead. Mary's dead. Jesus is alive. And the whole basis of Christianity is belief in miracles. And this power that raised him from the dead is working in us. It's to us, Wood, who believe. That same resurrection power is working inside us. And in Romans it says if, if, um, that power will quicken your mortal body. As this body upon earth, it'll quicken it. That means it'll give it life. God is on our side. God wants us to know that power works. And you need your understanding enlightened. That's why when you turn around and say, oh, you know, I can't do this, I can't do that, it's the most terrible blasphemy against God. You jolly well can. To turn around and say, no, God's power is incapable of doing it, it's terrible. And what is the exceeding, verse 19, greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all to the church. Now, is everything under his feet? Is he the head of everything? There's no other name that can be named that's above his name. He has all authority. Well, does he? So every disease, every sickness, every idea, every bondage, every thought, everything... That's why it says, um, talking of imaginations, which we talked about last week, it says you've got to bring every thought into captivity. What to? The obedience of Christ. How can you do that? You have the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead working in you. Do you know you can control your mind? You can think what you want to think. I find a lot of people... Their minds just are a mess because they don't get control of themselves. My Bible says, he that controls his own spirit is greater than he that takes the city. But you have the power of God within. 
the power that raised Jesus from the dead to take control of your life. You don't have to live in sin. You don't have to go the wrong way. You don't have to yield. You don't have to give in to any power anywhere because Christ lives in you and he's greater than all powers. You don't have to bow the knee to any other name because you have Christ inside. And when you begin to get hold of what Christ has done for you, your whole life can change. Not because of you doing anything, but a realization of what you've already got. He's done it for me. The devil does not have any rights, any power, any ability at all. That's it. So the only two in the equation is you and God. And you better make up your mind you're going to start living to please him. Because that's the only issue. Who you're living for. We sung earlier, whose report will you believe? Well, who are you going to believe? Your thoughts or God? Who are you going to believe? The things you see or what God says? Who are you going to believe? Your assumptions or God's truth? Who are you going to believe? Your deductions or the reality of Christ's promise? Who are you going to believe? Whose report will you believe? If this is true, you have the power within you to live as God intends. And if it's not true, it's the biggest hoax that's ever been in the world. But it's true. I believe it. But you need a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him to know it. Is that plain? Was that plain? So you can't turn around to me and say, oh, it's not my fault. It is your fault. Anything you do, it's your fault. Anything, it's your fault. Was that plain? Just because God's done it won't work for you. I told you the story of the woman who... who had uh, in Liverpool, who was a wealthy woman, she died wrapped up with newspapers round her body in old clothes because she wouldn't spend any of the money. Folly. Whose report do you believe? I believe God. God said soul. You know, the moment you really take hold of it, things change. I've seen people change instantly when they believe God. And I see nothing changes until they do. Whose report will you believe? He's far, verse 21, above all principality and power and might and dominion. He's put everything under his feet. I believe it. Doesn't matter what I see, I don't go by sense knowledge I don't go by what I feel I go by what God says 
And what God says comes into reality when I believe his word. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. And it's not a matter of claiming it, and it's not a matter of um, demanding it from God. It's a matter of just believing. I simply believe what he said is so. And I just live in the reality of it. In 1 John, chapter 4... says this in verse 3, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Antichrist is a spirit, an attitude inside. It's not a person. If you want the, you know, to understand... We're dealing with spiritual realities, and John makes it very plain. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh. It doesn't say did come, is come. If Jesus isn't in your flesh, he doesn't live in you. Then you have the spirit of Antichrist. In other words, you're not for Christ, you're against him. And everyone's against him, and we're children of disobedience till the Spirit of Christ comes inside. If you haven't the Spirit of Christ, my Bible says, you're none of his. Antichrist is the opposite of being a Christian. Don't think it's some person with ten horns, twelve hooves, and three tails, or whatever you want to imagine. That is not the Antichrist. The Bible makes it plain. Whereof you've heard that it should come, and even now is it all in the world. Right? That spirit's in the world, isn't it? A lot of people say, you know, oh, we don't believe in Jesus. Who's he? They, um, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, let me ask you, who have you overcome? According to this, these two verses, who have you overcome? Oh. Well, come on, it's in the book. Who have you overcome? Who? Who have you overcome? Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. This is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. And he that is not of God heareth us not. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who have you overcome? Who have you overcome, Carolyn? What? Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. 
Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, you've overcome them. How have you overcome them? Because Christ has come in your flesh. Do you know, if you're waiting and thinking that the devil's going to be released and somehow you're going to go through a tough time, I'm telling you, you've already been given the victory. Christ lives in you. If you're waiting for the Antichrist to come, you've already got him beat. According to the book. Now, it might not fit in with your eschatology, but it better fit in with Scripture. Is that clear? Hello? The Antichrist is a spirit that denies that Christ has come in the flesh. It's a spirit that's against Christ. It's Antichrist. That's why a lot of people say, oh, no, no, my, you know, everyone's flesh is sin. No, it's not. Sin is totally separate from flesh. When you're born again Christian, Jesus lives in your flesh. He's come in the flesh. The Holy Spirit is not some mystical thing waving around inside you. He comes to indwell your mortal body. Don't get this, oh, my spirit's one spirit with God's spirit, but you see, my flesh is weak. Well, if your flesh is weak, get born again. When God comes, he comes to live in your flesh. Every spirit that confesses not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Whose flesh? Yours and mine. He's come to live in us. When people meet you, they don't meet your spirit. I have people say to me, oh, I can't get to the meeting. I'll be there in spirit. I say, don't be a fool. That's a load of rubbish. It's your body God came to dwell in. You communicate in the world in your body, don't you? Well, don't you? If you give someone a hug, it's not in your spirit, is it? Huh? Do you eat in your spirit? Or do you eat your food through your body? Well, what do you do? Huh? You know, it's your body. Pinch yourself. Go on, take your pinch with your right hand, pinch your left hand. Pinch yourself. Say, look, Jesus lives in this flesh. Not some mystical thing. My God came to live in us. We, that's why when you lay hands on the sick, they recover. Why? Because it's flesh touching flesh, but it's really God touching flesh. Because God lives in your flesh. Christ has come in the flesh. Otherwise, to lay hands on the sick would do nothing. 
Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's what really puts to rout the devil. Hey, that spirit of Antichrist has no room when you begin to realize what the power of God, that resurrection power did. When Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't rise some spirit. That's JW's, Jehovah Witnesses, say, oh, he didn't actually rise in physical form. He most certainly did. He said to the disciples, when he said, give me something to eat, and he took the fish and he ate it in front of them, and he said, see? He said, flesh and bone. That's what I am. I'm alive. And then he said to Thomas, he said, you don't believe in miracles? Well, you put your hand in my side. You put your finger in the nail marks. It's my body. The spirit came to flesh. Don't ever have this idea that somehow we've got a spiritual experience that leaves our body out of it. That is not Christianity. You can't communicate with spirit. You communicate with your body. You don't go down the road and see a load of spirits hopping down the road to Tesco's. If you started seeing that, you'd spook yourself. Wouldn't you? You see human beings. Turn to the person next to you, shake him and say, Jesus came to live in you. In your body. It's not some spirit thing. They forget that the reality is the life is in us. Well, if the life's in us, he quickens our mortal bodies. And if you don't confess it, you're of the spirit of Antichrist. That's what the Bible teaches. That soon sorts out who's a Christian and who isn't. Hey, Jesus lives in me. When we lay hands on the sick, they recover. Why? People come along, they want to touch God. Where do you find God? You find God in dwelling human temples. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. But what building is it? It's your body. It's not a mystical thing. You're living stones built together, compacted together by that which every joint supplies. You are the body of Christ. If you're the body of Christ, you're part of him. He lives in you. His spirit's in you. He's come in your flesh. Is that plain? Is that plain? Where is he? Inside. That's why you don't have to go looking for him. You know where he is. I know where God is. He lives in me. I don't have to go seeking him. I don't have to pray through a fog or opposition. 
I know exactly where God lives in me. Because of that, you'll find 1 Corinthians is true. 1 Corinthians 3. One Corinthians three. Now look at this. One Corinthians chapter three. And you need to mark it in your Bible and don't ever forget it. In verse nine, what does it say? We are You are what? God's building. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he build thereon. For no other foundation can, can, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ. We are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You are God's building. You belong to God. You are God's building. You're part of the body of Christ. Your members in particular. Every one of you has the spirit of Christ dwelling within. He dwells in your mortal body. Not some spirit. That's why it's so important for Christians to understand what you do and the way you live is so important. You belong to God. You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. God dwells in you. His power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is working in you. You have all authority. You can live the way God intends you to live. You've got to live to please him. You are God's building. Someone wants to know where God is? Hey, he lives in me. You're part of his building. It's not some mystical thing. Find so many people want to make it mystical. It's not mystical, it's reality. Either you live it or you're a liar. Either it's a reality in you, that's what the Bible teaches. You are God's building. You are God's husbandry. You are a co-worker together with God. You labor in God. What to do? To build his church. To build his kingdom. You're here to be an example and an ambassador for Jesus Christ on the earth to reconcile people to God 
to let them know that God loves them, to let him know he heals them, to let him know he delivers them, to let him know he pays the price, to let him know he died on Calvary, third day rose again from the dead. You can say, I know it's true, it happened to me. I've been born from above, God lives in me. And you can tell other people, he can live in you. You can tell them there's no power in heaven or earth that can stand against this name. There's no authority. There's no devil. There's no demon. There's nothing that can ever stand against him. This risen Christ lives in me. And I have all power and all authority. But I'll only use it for his will to please him. I won't use it for myself. I made a choice. My choice was to live for him. And if you'll do that, you can live in total victory all the days of your life, and you can step out of this body into glory, and you'll find absent from the body, you'll be present with the Lord. That is the promise of God. That is what Christianity is. And anything less than that is religion. It's false, it's deception, and it's evil. And it's part of the Antichrist. According to the Bible. Is that plain? Wonderful gift, isn't it? Christ in you. The hope of glory. Glory loses all its hope when Jesus doesn't live in you. When he's inside of you, it's real. That's where healing comes from. It comes from Christ. It doesn't come from a man. That's why if you lay hands on the sick and they recover, it's God who does it, not the man who does it. God's the one who's the healer. God's the deliverer. God's the cleanser. It's all of him, salvations of God. And you're either anti-Christ or a Christ man, a Christian. You're one or the other. You're either one where the spirit works in the children of disobedience or you're one who's come and been born from above and you live for God. You're one or the other. There are no shades of grey. Either you live totally for Jesus or you're outside of him. That's it. That's what I believe in. It's not, oh, well, you know, I, I, uh, I believe I'm forgiven, but I, I'm not really born. Well, you're hell-bound. You must be born again. You can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You can't see it unless you're born again. And when you're born, Christ lives in you. He comes to dwell in my mortal flesh. God lives in me.
Christ lives in me. That's wonderful to know that, isn't it? The eyes of your understanding need enlightening so you understand what God's done for you, what your redemption really is. If you don't understand what your redemption is, you won't live in it. I understand exactly what God has done for me. He lives in me. I live in him. Christ in you. The hope of glory. And if you haven't the spirit of Christ, you're none of his. Christ lives in you. He quickens your mortal body. All right? Is that plain? Is that plain? I don't beat around the bush. Christ in you. Hope of glory. For me to live is to die gain. Well, is it true? It is. All you need is the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you might know it. That's all. That's what God did when he sent his only begotten son to redeem you. He came to give you life and life more abundant. Where's abundant life? It's in him. When the power of God's working in you, you have abundant life. When it's not there... You're in trouble. So easy. Let's all stand. Let's pray. You know, so many people, they get all religious when they pray. Close your eyes, don't look around at other people. Put your hand on your chest. I want you to say after me. Jesus lives in me. He lives in my flesh. By his spirit. He quickens my body. Disease has no right. Bondage has no right. Death has no right. Sin has no right. I'm alive in Christ. He's alive in me. He dwells in my mortal flesh. I have, authority I have authority over every principality, over every, principality every power, every, power every, ruler of every ruler of darkness. I've overcome them, I've overcome them. In, Christ. in Christ. I'm alive. I'm alive. The, spirit of the spirit of Antichrist, I've conquered it. I've overcome it. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. I'm free in him. The devil's a liar. He can't hurt me. He can't control me. He can't tempt me. He can't molest me. Because I've conquered him. Because Christ lives in me.
I'm God's building. The devil has no right to it. Belongs to God. He doesn't have a lease on it. He can't intrude upon it. Because Jesus Christ lives in my mortal flesh. I believe the truth. What God says about me. I'm God's building. It's true for me. Amen? Now isn't that simple? With the mouth confession is made into salvation. All you've got to do is live it. Live it. Don't let the devil rob you of it. You came in here, you've heard it, you've seen it, now believe it and do it. Live that way. Devil has no power. Jesus has all power. Let's lift up our hands to heaven. If you're sick, God's hand is here to touch you. Father, I just curse every disease, every sickness, every affliction. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command life and health to quicken these mortal bodies. Lord, release each captive. Let your power flow free, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. And so shall it be. Do sit down.